Hi, welcome to Navigating Developmental Delay Podcast. I'm Ms. Burr. And I'm Dr. Hamilton. We want to welcome you and encourage you to follow us on social media. You can find us on our Twitter platform at NavigatingDevel1, Instagram, all one word, Navigating Developmental Delay, and Facebook. We hope that you visit our social media sites. You can access them through our episode webpage or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is also on there, navigatingdevelopmentaldelays.com. Be sure to check out our tweets as we will tweet out articles that we refer to on our podcast, and the links can also be found in our episode webpage. So we wanted to go over our medical disclaimer real briefly at the beginning of each episode. We want to stress that we are putting this information out there for informational purposes only. We want to stress that we are not giving anyone medical advice or occupational therapy advice. For medical advice, you should reach out to your children's pediatrician or family physician only. So our podcast and blog disclaimer, while we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. One doctor and occupational therapist may have a different way of doing things from another. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. We take no money from advertisers at this time. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your family physician or your own physician for any medical issues you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall Navigating Developmental Delays podcast, any guests or contributors to the podcast, or blog, or any employees, associates, be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast or blog. For a more detailed disclaimer, please visit our website at navigatingdevelopmentaldelays.com. Hi, welcome to Navigating Developmental Delays podcast. I'm Ms. Burr. I'm Dr. Hamilton, and today's episode is about supporting kids' emotional health during the pandemic. So we all know we are all having a lot of, of feelings of, of this whole pandemic. And um, I know for me, it's it's hard for me to distinguish how I'm feeling right. <laughs> from day to day, right. um, hour to hour, um, you know, and then thinking about that from a child's perspective of really understanding what's going on, um, being able to articulate their feelings and and understand the news they're hearing and seeing, you know, what's happening with family and friends. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So um, today, you know, we're just going to talk about some first general steps that you can use um, with your child to just kind of pull some of that information out of them um, with some nice, simple ways that you can really start to understand your child's anxiety um, or if they have any sadness about this topic. And then mm-hmm. second step is we're going to talk about ways to kind of decrease some of that, you know, anxiety and, and some solid strategies you can use as a family to, uh, to help everyone and not, not just your child. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll always recommend getting more help if, if you need it. Um, and, you know, we want to recognize that a lot of these things we're going to talk about today are general for, for any child. Um, I think we need to recognize that. Um, if your child has a developmental delay or not, you know, they're, they're going to have feelings about this topic mm-hmm. and we want to, you know, always presume competency and know that our children are, are going to, um, have thoughts on this and that we just need to find the best way that can really help them express that. Right. 
And I think one of the common things, Erin, um, that I hear from parents is, you know, when you ask them, when you ask kids about how school is going or how things are going, they don't really volunteer a lot of information. Sure. And, you know, there are those kids that are talkative and will tell you everything about your their day, but a lot of times for majority of kids, if you ask them, you know, how's your day? Fine. You know, what'd you do? Nothing. <laughs> so I think that one of the things I wanted to devote some time was, is, you know, how to do open-ended interviewing techniques with kids. Oh, that's great. Um, because a lot of times, you know, when you ask your child or yes or no question as a means of getting information about your their day, it's not a very high yield technique. Right. So I think a lot of times, you know, asking yes or no questions, you can certainly do it. But I find for myself personally, with my kids or with interviewing patients, open-ended questions work better. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that with your kids. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think definitely I can uh, speak to that with um, getting very short answers and, and wondering if they even did anything in their day. <laughs> right, right. So I, I love your idea of some more open-ended to get, you know, kids talking. And, and again, you know, I think part of that too, you have to recognize and find that good time in your day where you're going to, you know, use these interview techniques because it might not be the best right when they get off the bus or right when they close that computer for the day, but maybe, mm -hmm. you know, at dinner time or, you know, give them an hour to decompress and then, you know, move into some of these strategies. That is a great suggestion because a lot of times you're going to get more information, you know, that they're going to be willing to share if they're not stressed out immediately. Right. So um, I'm going to divide the section into questions you can ask your kids daily, like daily questions, and second part is going to be more long-term questions. So, um, you know, these are some of the suggested daily questions that you can ask your kids. So, you know, one, one that I really like to ask is, you know, tell me three good things about your day. Mm, wonderful. And uh, I also recommend asking, you know, tell me three annoying things about your day. <laughs> okay. Because I think a lot of times it really gives you information both about, you know, what kind of day they had and also some insight into what they liked, what they found to be good for them, what they found to be annoying. Right. And, um, and you know, other two other questions that are kind of related I like to ask kids, tell me three things that made you sad today. Aww. And, you know, tell me three things that made you happy today. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, information out there about how to raise grateful kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that focuses on, you know, teaching kids like, tell me the things you're grateful for today. And I think that that is helpful, but I think acknowledging that kids right now might be feeling very sad right. and asking what are things that made you sad today, they can always answer you and say, hey, nothing made me sad today. So that itself gives you some information. Yeah. Right? No, I think that's great and, um, you know, really validating some of those emotions right now because I know as parents, you know, we want to be positive and say, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad and there's some good things about this day and right. I think you know, giving your children the space to really talk about some of those mm -hmm. feelings of sadness or anger or things that are annoying um, right. really just lets them know that you you are listening and that it's okay to have those feelings. Right, right. I mean, you can always ask, you know, I when you ask these questions at the end, you can say, you know, ask, tell me three things that you're grateful about today. So three is just a number I use. There's mm -hmm. nothing magical about that number. I find if you ask one or two you don't get that much information because they're just trying to answer the question and move on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I also, two other questions I like to ask, like, tell me three things that made you worried today. Mm. 
And I think the last one's probably my favorite. I, I like to ask, tell me three things that you wanted to do over today. Oh, I like that one. Because if there's something, you know, maybe something happened with a peer that they want to go back in time and do something differently, that's a, a question I think that gives you a lot of insight into what they would want to, what they're worried about and what they want to redo if they had to. Yeah, no, I think that's great because then again, there's some some learning that can go on there, you know, and some problem solving together then of saying, well, how could you do that differently? Um, what would that look like? And so you're really able to link those emotions to some actionable plans for the next day. Right, and I think that, you know, it's a, not a bad idea for parents to sit with, sit with their kids and they can answer these questions for themselves, mm -hmm. right? As a parent, you can say, you know, one thing I found annoying is I got a lot of traffic and that made me kind of annoyed or I had right. this. So in the beginning, when you start to ask these questions, I think you can even answer questions by yourself initially, just to kind of teach kids how you expect them to answer them. Sure. And then maybe after a few days of you answering them, then you can say, okay, now we're both going to do this. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to ask all these questions, you know, depending on your child, you might say, these two questions work the best for me. Right. So you can ask those questions, change it up if you want to ask different questions. But I would set aside, you know, a good time every day that maybe you can, you know, do this. And I mean, you set a dinner table, you know, when you're sitting and talking at dinner, that's a great time. But it can also be a time that maybe, you know, you get in the routine and you make this a daily thing mm -hmm. that makes it more it makes it easier for them because they're expected to do this at the same time every day. Right. No, I think that's a great strategy. I know for our family, um, you know, my two children couldn't be more different. And so my younger one, you know, comes home from school and he's he's ready to talk and will tell me all about his day. And, and that would be a perfect time to answer these questions where, mm -hmm. you know, my older one really does not want to interact when he gets home mm -hmm. um, and actually does better probably – if we're, you know, driving to, um, you know, an extracurricular activity and he's more in the back seat, he likes to talk a little bit more there where he's, mm -hmm. you know, not kind of feeling like he's being interviewed and it's more just open-ended time for him to talk. Sure. So, yeah, I think uh, a lot of times if kids are telling you everything, you don't really need to do these specific questions unless you're looking for a particular insight into what made them worry or what made them happy. But I think, I think that, you know, just having a regular time that you do ask them about how they're feeling is important. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great. So what are some um, more longer term questions that you could ask that would, you know, spark some conversation? Sure. You know, it's a, it's really interesting because sometimes when you interview kids, you know, if you ask someone, have you had a fever? I'll, I'll often get the answer. Yes, I had a fever. You know, a year ago, I had a fever. <laughs> so I think that you have to, you know, and I, I have lots of fun stories about it. Kids are really, really adorable. But uh, I think that one of some of the few long-term questions that I like to ask to get you some insight into how someone is feeling, you know, one question I like to ask is if you had a magic wand, what are three things you would change in your life? Mm. Fun. I love that. And, uh, you know, another one I like is if you had a magic wand, what are three things you would change in the world? Okay. So having it, you know, a little bit more focused inward for the child, what would they change in their specific situation and their life? And, you know, going broader, what would they change in the world? Mm -hmm. A lot of times when kids are, you know, we know that, you know, young adulthood, like teenage years are a source of significant stress. You know, even younger kids, younger and younger kids are feeling stressed. So, a lot of times kids are very attuned to how other people see them. So another long-term um, question I like to ask is, 
what are three labels that people give you and do you agree with them? Oh, interesting. And this is something that um, is mentioned in one of uh, Mark Dixon's books, um, the ACT book, and I thought it was a very helpful question. And I'm going to put a link to um, you know his information as well. And another good question to ask long term is, uh, what are three labels that you give yourself? And I think that's a really important thing to ask about how someone feels about themselves. Mm, yeah, no, that's great. I love that. Um, and I would imagine, you know, some of that you might need to, again, teach and get a, give a little bit of prompts for, because I know, um, even for myself, you know, three labels on myself, it might take me some time to think about that and kind of, you know, what that would look like day to day. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, it's something you have to, in the beginning, kind of do more teaching before mm-hmm. you start to have them being able to answer your questions appropriately. Right, right. So those questions are, are great. Um, the short term and the long term, just to kind of get your kids talking and, um, you know, trying to label their emotions and and feelings. So, you know, if you have a child who's just experiencing what we would expect right now, you know, some of that sadness that maybe they're missing their friends at school, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just some general feelings. We're not talking about um, anything clinical right now. What are just some, you know, good resources for kids to kind of talk about their emotions and maybe Um, work on some strategies to stay calm and and feel good about themselves so I think that I think mindfulness apps and books are very helpful so let's speak briefly about mindfulness so I think when I mentioned mindfulness you know something to explain to kids is that you know you don't control your thoughts but dwelling on a thought for three hours is a behavior Mm -hmm. right so teaching kids that you might have a distressing thought but you know, it, mindfulness really tries to focus on the reality that the thought, no matter how distressing or how uncomfortable, the thought passes. And that right. focusing on something else often helps the moment pass. And just having them realize, developing that, a little bit of that distress tolerance, that this thought makes me really anxious, makes me really worry, but this thought will go away. Just mm-hmm. like good thoughts come and then good thoughts go away, bad thoughts come, bad thoughts go away. So those distressing, uncomfortable thoughts that a lot of kids are having right now, they do pass and teaching them how to let them pass and accept that they will feel differently a little bit later on. Right, right. So um, I, the, some of the mindfulness apps that I think are helpful, one of the ones that I think is great for younger kids that is just a really basic one um, is one actually that you had introduced me to, the Calm Counter. Mm-hmm. So that was a great app because it, um, do you want to talk a little bit about it? And then I'll talk about the next one. Sure. I think the Calm Counter is really a nice, simple app where um, it counts back from 10 and it has your, you know, classic smiley face on it. And it goes from a, you know, red, angry face. And then you tap the face and it slowly turns to yellow and then green and it's calm. And then it prompts the child at the end to take a deep breath. So it really draws the focus onto the app and to counting and breathing. And what I like about that is that, you know, eventually you can pull away from the app and you can still use that strategy when the app isn't accessible. Right. No, I think that was a great one, especially for younger kids. So one, another app that I really like uh, was Breathe Kids. And um, that's an app that's kind of like a mindfulness app. So, you know, when you click on that app, it you know, you can look at different missions, like, you know, different things that you can do in terms of activities, but a lot of times 
it asks you like how are you feeling and if you say angry or mad or sad then it gives you a different kind of personalized mission mm -hmm. to follow and usually there'll be you know an icon that you follow usually a short graphic or a video and then it takes you through a few minutes of an exercise for that specific mission like if you're feeling sad it'll give you one mission if you're feeling angry it gives you a different mission excellent I know um, Cosmic Kids Yoga also has a lot of mindfulness activities right. um, and strategies there and, and her website as well, which is great and I'm a fan of. Yes, no, that's a good one. Um, so that's one that we will add in there as well. The Calm app, you know, it's like a, an adult, like um, like geared towards adults, you mm -hmm. know, the Calm app. But I've, I've had a lot of teenagers that told me that they've been using it. That's kind of how I got to know about it because... You know, as part of our screening for kids, we give them depression screenings. And a lot of times, you know, when you ask kids about what strategies are you using if you're feeling sad, a lot of them um, have been using this app. Um, and, you know, I'm not too familiar with that one, but that's one that comes up a lot. It's uh, supposed to be a good one. That's great. And I would say, you know, for our younger children out there um, who might not respond as much to, to the apps or some of these more higher level thoughts. I know you, I've used in the past just the idea of like a worry monster, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you can talk about your worries and maybe make it more of a, a figure or, or a person so that it, it takes it away from, you know, internalizing that. And then what you can do is work on, you know, tackling that worry monster together or, or um, you know, working on some strategies to fight that worry monster. So I think sometimes with younger kids, you need to um, become a little bit more creative, a little more playful so that they can kind of understand some of these feelings. I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. The worry monster really personifies the emotion they're feeling so they can tackle it in a more concrete way. Yeah. So um, you did mention ACT a little bit. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. ACT is a program developed by a, a BCBA board certified behavioral analyst called Mark Dixon and it's called uh, ACT or acceptance commitment therapy so that is a really I think helpful book for mindfulness it has like um, a daily lesson it's like 180 lessons in a book you can go through a lesson a day and it has um, a lot of like you know it will give you an activity to do every day I think one of the activities uh I, one of the ones that I remember was called the stinky shoe exercise that you have to <laughs> sit on a shoe for like five minutes. Um, and I might be misquoting some of this because I don't have that page in front of me, but you have to sit on a shoe for, for, for initially briefly and then for a longer time. And the whole point it tries to make is once you're sitting for a long time, you forget that the shoe is bothersome. Oh, I love that. You forget that it's bothering you. And then, um, you know, a lot of... Um, it also has some personification type techniques in it where it talks about, you know, if you're feeling upset or angry, it's kind of like you're at a party, but there's a monster and you have to stand outside the door to guard the monster. You can't let him out or he's going to ruin the party. Mm -hmm. So similar yeah. to, you know, what you were mentioning and it has, and so it can help kids think about it in a different way. There's another exercise called a magnifying glass that talks about how if you put a magnifying glass to something, it looks much bigger. So if you put a magnifying glass to your you know your thoughts that are worrying you it makes it much bigger so Very it's really good. and it has different scripts for different ages so it has you know for every lesson there's a different script for kids that are elementary school versus middle school versus older okay so you can do the same exercise in different ways with different kids excellent no I think that's great um 
definitely something to look into if you know you're looking to add that to your curriculum with your kids and I you know I think again this just doesn't get talked enough about when we're talking about education is really the social emotional piece um, and I you know I don't know what that's gonna look like with our children doing cyber school and, and hybrid learning if you know that piece is gonna be as addressed as strongly as it was in the past so some tools that parents can use um, to kind of keep implementing these things at home is wonderful. And you know, there's a ton of books about depression and anxiety for kids of different ages. A lot of times you can search inside the book, see if that's appropriate for you. But, you know, some of those workbooks for kids that are maybe having some of these feelings, but not as severely, some of those can mm -hmm. be very helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's great. I know I'm a big fan of uh, the Wilma Jean and the Worry Machine and some of it over those little um, books you can find just you know on Amazon that are, help explain some of these things. If you can send me some links to the books for younger kids, I'll add sure. that to the episode notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now I kind of want to get into you know a slightly harder topic. Um, you know, there's there's so much going on with the pandemic, and and sadly we know we've we've lost a lot of people, um, and I know you know it, that's a hard thing to process for kids. It's scary. Um, you know, they're worried about their grandparents and unfortunately, you know, there have been children who have had to deal with, with grief and loss. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about that and, and see if you had any recommendations for parents of how to talk about grief and, and how kids, um, you know, handle grief a little bit differently than adults. Right. I, I think that, you know, kids do process grief in different ways. Um, there was a really, really great uh, article from the New York Times that we tweeted out earlier. It was titled, Helping Children with Pandemic Grief. And, uh, you know, just in general with kids in grief, you know, one of the things that we know is that, you know, kids, some kids have experienced significant losses during this time, you know, not even, not just economic and those kind of, you know, changes in circumstance, but also, you know, grieving, not being able to have the life that they used to have, sure. like, you know, due to travel restrictions, health restrictions, not being able to see their grandparents, and sometimes losing a grandparent, you know, unfortunately, as part of this pandemic. So um, some of the things that the New York Times article that we tweeted out earlier, and I'll try to put a link to it um, in the notes for the podcast, is a uh, there's a group of doctors in a child and adolescent psychiatry group at Oxford. They wrote an editorial in a medical journal, you know, urging honest and effective communication with children about death and dying and the pandemic. So they, you know, published later a step-by-step -step guide about how to have these very difficult conversations because mm -hmm. they mentioned situation where a lot of times parents are getting a phone call about someone passing away and then they have to decide what do I do next, sure. right? So they actually put out some written guidance for healthcare workers about delivering bad news in this unprecedented situation where sadly people are passing away alone without their loved ones surrounding them. And uh, they also wrote guidance for parents. So the same group wrote guidance for parents about how to tell the kids about what is happening, including death of a grandparent. Wow. And uh, you know, some links to that guidance is actually included in the article from the time. So if you click on the article link, it should take you to the article and you're able to access the hyperlinks there. But um, it's easy to find that article in, in our Twitter um, account, but I can also put a link to the page. But I think one of the 
you know, things that we know about kids is kids as young as two are able to process that things are different, things are not the same, or something is changing, or something is wrong. Wow. So I think sometimes in a lot of cultures and a lot of society, people feel like they should shield their kids from what's happening. And we know developmentally, you know, no matter what stage of development your child really is at, that is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's something that kids, you know, may resent later, and that might actually prevent them from being able to process it in the way that they need to process that loss. Right. So that's really important. It's very important to be honest with kids. I know every child is different. So some kids might be overly stressed about things and the parent might make, you know, an executive decision to say, I'm going to share this much. But so you have to meet kids at their developmental level and also with their, you know, personalities. You know, you have to approach different personalities different ways. But honesty is a very, very important thing to kind of I think stick to for kids you know I I think that's uh really interesting you know the um knowing that even someone as young as two can really process some of these things and and what do you what would you say to the parent with a child with a a developmental delay um you know I've had questions in the past of um how to approach the topic of of death or and grief um with that population so I think that, you know, with any child and, you know, including kids with developmental delays, I think it is important still to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have to phrase it and explain it in a way that they can relate to and they can understand. There's a good article written by a social worker um, out of the University of New Mexico that talks about how to address kids grieving, uh, specifically kids with developmental delays. It talks about how sometimes, you know, well-meaning caregivers might shield kids from the grief, but the kids do know something is happening. And they might feel more helpless if they're not, if the information is not shared with them. They might have a harder time processing it than if you were honest and, you know, kind of related it to their developmental level in a way that they could understand. Mm -hmm. So I'll put a link to that as well, but we do know that, you know, even with kids with developmental delays, you know, younger kids as well, sometimes you need to, you know, you need to do it in a way that maximizes their understanding of the situation. But right. but it's really important to still adhere to that policy of honesty and explaining it so that they feel like they know what's going on, that, you know, they don't have that uncertainty of not knowing what's happening because they all know something's happening. It's better to tell them what's happening. Right, right. And I love, I I mean, I love that, again, that individualized, you know, you know your child best. And so, you know, if you have a child who, um, you know, is nonverbal or has difficulty um, expressing these emotions, um, you know, you know your other ways that your children, you know, are showing you that they feel sadness or, or grief. Um, and so you have to, you know, trust yourself with that and, and know that that might look a little bit different for your child, but those emotions are still there. Right. No, absolutely. So we talked a little bit just, you know, in general about, um, stress and anxiety and, and, you know, what we're, what we're all feeling, let's be honest, through the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but tell me a little bit about what parents should be looking for, um, in their child's. Um, what kind of symptoms, what kind of different things would they see if their child is really experiencing more of a mental health issue such as depression or, you know, clinical anxiety or things like that? Right. So I think that your child's pediatrician can diagnose if your child has, uh, you know, 
depression or anxiety or not but um, you know I'm just gonna talk about you know things that the parents can see as like maybe red flags or danger signs yeah that's great so um, one thing you have to remember is that depression looks very different in kids than in adults so in adults you know people talk about typical depression versus atypical depression so in typical depression you have things like you know people aren't able to you know, get restful sleep, they have, you know, decreased interest in things, they feel guilty about things, they have, you know, decreased energy, hard time concentrating, they might have decreased appetite. Um, in a different type of depression, in atypical depression, you have opposite of some of these symptoms. So kids might, instead of having decreased appetite, have increased appetite, they might be eating a lot more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, instead of not sleeping well, they might be sleeping all day. Right, so atypical and typical depression are very different. There's a mnemonic we use sometimes called um, SIG E CAPS. You know, S for sleep changes, I for interest changes. Uh, you have decreased interest in things you like to do. G for guilt. You know, you feel guilty about things that are not your fault. Mm -hmm. E for energy. The changes in energy. Either you know you have very low energy. You feel like you're moving very slowly. You know, C for concentration. You know, you might have difficulty concentrating. And A for appetite you have changes in appetite whether it's an increase or decrease and you know p is for you know psychomotor changes either you're moving really fast or you're moving really slowly and s you know important to make sure kids don't have any thoughts of like you know self-harm and things like that those are you know immediate emergency room visits if you have sure. any concerns with that but i think that remember that for most teenagers depression presents just with irritability and okay. you know I don't want people to all feel like oh my god my kids must have this because they're always irritable because <laughs> that's part of also being a teenager but I'm talking about someone who maybe did not have a lot of irritability and now all of a sudden you say nice shoes and they're like I hate you mm -hmm. you know so right, if you see a right. big big change in irritability a lot of times kids are not going to say I feel depressed mm -hmm. I feel sad they're just going to be really really irritable right. and you know very very you know difficult to maybe have a conversation with because they're just isolating themselves and remember that's what something that teenagers do but that's also something that people who are depressed do they self-isolate mm -hmm. so these are things so if you see any of these signs you know please seek medical care please see your medical provider to make sure that your kids are getting the help that they need most well visits you know kids do get screened for depression depending on the age of the child. Older kids will usually get screened for that, but okay. um, those are things that are private between the provider and the child. Mm -hmm. That's not something that is disclosed unless the patient gives permission. Oh, okay. So just red flags to look for, you know, the things I mentioned, changes in, you know, sleep patterns, um, changes in appetite, changes in concentration, changes in, you know, interest in things not enjoying things they used to enjoy those are some of the red flags to look for and would you say these changes um you know you're also looking at timeline I mean I could definitely say you know when this especially when this first started you know my sleep was different and eating and just mm -hmm. you're, you're completely off your routine but you're talking yeah. about these big changes over a, a more longer period of time right and okay. these changes have to be there in addition to like feeling sad okay. right so you have to have that feeling of anhedonia or feeling like you don't enjoy things anymore mm -hmm. in addition to some of these other signs sure so there's specific diagnostic criteria for depression that your doctor will do you know with your child 
but it's very important to seek medical care for this instead of just trying to figure it out yourself. Sure. It's very important to seek uh, proper care. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we talked in the beginning about how these feelings are normal and I don't, there's no better way to normalize all of this than to seek out help and, and show your child that it's, it's okay and it's normal and, um, you know, there's, there's ways to get help and it is available. So I think it's really important to show your children that, um, you know, we, everyone can go through these things and, and there are ways that you can be helped. Right. And I think we do sometimes a really lousy job of treating depression like the medical illness that it is. Mm-hmm. Because sure. people will openly talk about, oh, you know, I have like, you know, my blood sugar is too high. I have diabetes. I have this medical issue. I have high blood pressure. But this is still something that is very stigmatized. And yes. it's something that, you know, people sometimes don't want to talk about or they just don't want to seek treatment for. It's very important that... We treat it like the medical illness that it is. It is a medical illness. It needs to be treated accordingly. Right. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's that's wonderful. Um, so a, a lot to think about. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's a, it's a heavy topic, um, but I think it's important because, again, we, we don't want to just gloss this over and, and pretend that our kids aren't having these feelings and these emotions. And we need to address them. And there's lots of great resources out there. And there's there's professionals if you need that Um, type of help as well. So I appreciate your insights and I look forward to hearing more in our next podcast. Yes. Until next time. Yes. All right, everyone, take care, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, um, go on our website and you can link to our social media for all the articles that you were discussing today. Okay, everyone, take care. Bye. Bye.